Yeah, I, it's, I think you know one of the stories I tell people all the time, and it's an urban legend. I don't know if it's true or not, but uh, there's a, a story about Southwest Airlines when they had trouble with on-time departures. They were really struggling to get their planes out of the gate. And I may have told you this story back then. It's you know they didn't go study United and Delta and American. They took all the people who were responsible for that part of the world, and they sent them out to like. I think it was like the Indianapolis 500 to watch pit crews changing out cars for a week. And so they, they went outside their industry to find answers. And so I think what I did for you is I said, hey, your frame of reference is, you know, one frame of reference. But let's go ahead and just let's just look up and let's look at the rest of the world. And let's look at high performance really looks like, you know, in a broader context. And let's see if that applies to your world. And I think you found that it did. Welcome back to One Visit Away with your host, Kevin Fitzpatrick. This show focuses on true stories of philanthropy in order to understand what it takes to succeed in major gift fundraising. Listen to these stories and you'll realize you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization. I'm glad you decided to tune in today. We are in for a real treat my guest this week is John Oberg. Several times on the podcast, I have referred to a consultant who worked with me at Heroic Media, who really had a huge impact on my career, and that consultant is John Oberg. John also gives away a lot of money, and so we're going to talk about several things in this episode, but one, kind of his thoughts on giving uh, from the other side of the table. Uh, and you're going to learn a lot just from hearing from someone who gives away a lot of money, who gets contacted by a lot of people who want to ask them to give money. And it's a really incredible conversation. John primarily focuses on uh, putting the benefactor first. So I'm going to read you his bio and you're going to he- hear just how incredibly accomplished this guy is. John Oberg is a co-founder and board director of Sidera Health a fast-growing technology company based in Austin, Texas. For the past 12 years, John has been a mentor, advisor, consultant, and coach to hundreds of organizations, including early-stage companies, those with $50 billion-plus in revenue, nonprofits, and the U.S. military. Prior to his role as an advisor, he managed organizations ranging from startups to those with more than 1,000 employees. John focuses on helping companies solve problems that impede management performance and revenue scalability. He takes a merit-based approach to improving performance and alignment, using objective measurement and a human touch. John was born and raised in Los Angeles, California. He currently lives with his family in Austin, where you'll find him engaging in many outdoor activities. When traveling, he also enjoys scuba diving and golf, and has recently taken to hunting and fishing. He is a second-degree black belt in orthodox karate. I hope you enjoy this wonderful conversation with John Oberg. Well, welcome to One Visit Away, John. Thanks for being here. Oh, glad to be here myself. Uh, it's been fun to be on the other side of the microphone for once. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's interesting. We both started our podcasts. Uh, I think he, yours was much more planned out and uh, well executed, but we both launched a little bit after the pandemic hit. and. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. I'll give everybody a little bit of background. I have referenced several times on this podcast and some of my posts on LinkedIn about a coach that worked with me at Heroic Media and had a huge impact on my career. And 
John Oberg is that coach. So we'll talk about that some later. But could you give everybody a little introduction about who you are and what you do, John? Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur, I think, by nature. I started out my career in a sales organization where I was managing people. And then I went and got an MBA and I uh, ran some companies. And then I got into, as a boutique consultant, started doing a lot of coaching and consulting for about nine and a half years. Uh, you know, I'd done a private equity turnaround. I had, you know, uh, worked as an operator. And uh, in the middle of all that, I decided to start a company. Uh, the company that I was a co-founder of uh, was started in 2015. So while I had my kind of advisory consulting practice, um, met a co-founder and that company is now uh, Sidera Health, 193 on the Inc. 5000, one of the fastest growing private companies in the country. And uh, right now I'm still doing advisory and coaching work, but I have another startup in process, uh, in flight, spending a lot of time with healthcare and professional services organizations. And at the heart of all of it, when people ask what I'm trying to do, it's really about connection. You know, I want to I want people to be better connected in professional environments. And I think that's really important, you know, in healthcare for, you know, patient and doctor, I think for companies, for employee and manager, for customer and company, for investor and executive, like there's, there's all these relationships that are just really important. And the thread through all of them is what I'm most interested in professionally. Yeah, that's awesome. So, and, and what does your podcast focus on? It's just that the, the the intersection of people and performance. You know, I'm, I'm so interested in this that um, I went back. To, I'm, I'm actually now in school to get my doctorate. You know, in, wow. uh, in in social work when I don't have a background as a social worker, but I want to understand just systemically all of the variables that are pressing into relationships, not just the interpersonal stuff, but what happens in society and in communities. And and so, uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just super interested in the sociology, the anthropology, the psychology. Like, how do we connect better? Because I think we're, we're losing that in our society. Like over the decades, I've watched people become less and less connected and it's impacting our ability to be good humans. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So where can people find your podcast? What's it called? It's called uh, Daily Joe with John Oberg. So if you go into like uh, Spotify or Google Play or, you know, uh, podcasts on Apple, you just type in John Oberg, J-O-H-N-O-B-E-R-G, you'll find it. And I uh, think, you know, it's interesting stuff. It's, it's, it'll get you thinking, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'll leave a link to that in the notes section of this episode if anybody wants to check it out. And I can assure you, John is somebody that you'll want to listen to. So I'll give you my John Oberg experience as a young uh, development professional at Heroic Media. John was brought in by our founder to work with some of our executive team. And then at some point along the way, uh, I got roped into uh, having some coaching sections with John and I'll, I, I'll never forget one of the first, one of the first days we spoke, you asked me, so Kevin, what's your biggest enemy right now? And I, I don't remember what I said, but you told me that I was wrong and that my biggest enemy was the status quo. Yeah. And you started to tell me about how the status quo in the nonprofit world is incredibly low and, uh, and yeah, you just challenged me a lot on my assumptions about how many people should I be able to see in a month, in a week, in a day, uh, and how much money I should be able to raise. And you called me on, uh, I did not think it was BS at the time, but it was, I, I thought I was performing at a high level, but only because I was comparing myself to other people that 
weren't performing at very high levels. Yeah. And so you came in from this totally outside world, for-profit, kicking butt, growing companies, and uh, just gave me a new mindset and something to think about. So yeah, talk talk to everybody about that a little bit and and what you see as some of the challenges for people working at nonprofits. Yeah, it's, I think you know one of the stories I tell people all the time, and it's an urban legend. I don't know if it's true or not, but uh, there's a, a story about Southwest Airlines when they had trouble with on-time departures. They were really struggling to get their planes out of the gate. And I may have told you this story back then. It's you know they didn't go study United and Delta and American. They took all the people who were responsible for that part of the world, and they sent them out to like. I think it was like the Indianapolis 500 to watch pit crews changing out cars for a week. And so they, they went outside their industry to find answers. And so I think what I did for you is I said, hey, your frame of reference is, you know, one frame of reference. But let's go ahead and just let's just look up and let's look at the rest of the world. And let's look what high performance really looks like, you know, in a broader context. And let's see if that applies to your world. And I think you found that it did. Yeah. Yeah. So I. I, yeah, you did tell me the the pit crew thing. I'm remembering now. And then you also mentioned, uh, you told me something about, you know, uh, I think it was pharmaceutical sales reps. Do you recall how many people they see in a day? <laughs> you told me some number. It was something like, you know, they see, I don't know, seven or 14 people per day. It's more than and, that. Yeah, I've met guys that have, they, they, I met people that have routes of like 700 doctors they've got to see every 13 weeks. Yeah. So, yeah. And so there are certainly some differences between pharmaceutical sales and major gift fundraising. But but the the main idea was that I love that you just like you kind of like knocked me off my feet. And I thought about it for weeks after you said that. And at the time, I was my goal was to have 20 visits face to face per month. Um, And I'm happy to say that my last my last month going really hard in person before the pandemic, I had 42 visits in person uh, in that month. And, and that's, and it's like, why can't I have that every month? Why can't we all have that every month? Why, why is, is 42 the limit? Of course not. There's, there's always more we can do. And people in the for-profit world are constantly looking at that. And I just don't see it as much in the, the nonprofit world. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm much more aware of the nonprofit world today than I was back then, even because I've I've looked at some of the similarities and, you know, getting a degree in social work, you look at a lot more of, uh, you know, the world from that perspective, and so um, I think that stewardship is such an interesting word, right? And and I just I hate that we're using it. You're gonna not like me saying this on your podcast. Like, I don't like that we use it for advancement. Like I don't like yeah. that we use it for development. I think stewardship is not just about bringing money in, but it's about putting money out and about the way that we make investments. And mm-hmm. so I think when we co-opt words, we we dumb down our language and we start mm-hmm. to use less and less words in the English language, and our communication gets smaller and our thinking gets smaller. I don't think that's what we're called to do. I think we're called to yeah. think more expansively and 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 so anyway I, I wish we'd find better words yeah yeah so it's interesting this is potentially somewhat of a sidetrack but i find it very interesting you're going on to get your phd uh there's a lot of thought these days uh Basically, that just uh, there's a push towards higher education is unnecessary. Uh, you clearly do not need it for any 
financial reason. It's just something you're choosing to do. So why is it that you're going to do that, especially given that it's so easy to study things uh, in 2020 compared to 30 years ago? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I'm brought in with a lot of organizations because people want to grow and stretch. And one of my core values is growth. And so I was taking some of my own medicine and I was asking, like, how do I really, really grow? And this is something I've you know, thought about getting a doctorate for years. And um, I'm getting a, a, what's called a doctorate of social work. So it's a little bit different than a PhD in that it's not research, it's application based. Okay. And, and so um, I wanted to push myself to learn and to grow. And so what I recognize is that I knew one part of the world extraordinarily well, but I wanted to expose myself to a different part of the world. And this particular doctorate is about um, solving intractable problems, like going after really, really nasty problems and finding research that's been done and applying that research to solve these really, they call them the grand challenges. And so that's what I, I wanted to do is I wanted to go and I wanted to learn about, you know, what are the systems that impact society? Like, like think about things at a societal level, think about things at a community level, and then apply what I know about organizations and people to communities and societies. I want to have a bigger impact, but I've got to be honest about my blind spots and what I don't know. And so I've got to be learning. Yeah, that's awesome. So tell me about, so most people listening to One Visit Away are used to hearing stories from the side of the development professional, going to see somebody, asking them for a gift and hearing both the good, the bad, the ugly, and the uh, embarrassing. And uh, you have more experience from the other side of the table. Are there any stories that you'd like to share of times people representing nonprofits have visited with you to ask you for a gift? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the biggest thing that I notice is that as someone becomes more high, and I'm not saying I'm high profile, but you know, the more that people recognize I have an ability to give, the more people that come with their handout. And so I get people all the time who are like, hey, I just want to get coffee and catch up with you. And if I had coffee to catch up with everyone who wanted to have coffee and catch up with me, I wouldn't have any money to give. <laughs> right? Like I just wouldn't. And so the people that I give to are typically the ones that are um, that understand what it is that I want to give toward. Like they, they know what my mission is around giving. And they... Um, they are working toward that. And so that that's, and then, you know, I've got, a, I've got a list of 20 charities that are really important and near and dear to things that are important to me. And so those are places that I give. And so if somebody wants to build a relationship with me so that I give to them, that's without recognizing it, they're in danger of objectifying me. Hmm. Does that make sense? Like if you, if you want to meet with me just so that I give to you, like I, I did that with work for a lot of years. I, I worked with people so that they would help me make more money as a manager or as an owner or as a, and I don't think most people who are in, in nonprofits really think that way, by the way, I don't think that anybody truly has a, a, uh, an intent or a conscious thought around that. So I'm not, it's yeah. not an indictment, but it is a challenge yeah. for those of you that are raising money to ask yourself, like how many people am I going to that meeting for my benefit, for my organization's benefit, and not for the donor's mm. benefit? Yeah. So of those, of those 20 organizations, how many of them uh, have ever visited with you in person? Do you know? I'd have to look at, I, I can pull up the list real quick. I've got it right here in front of me. So <laughs> I wasn't planning on this, but let me just, it'll take me half a second to 
Yeah, one. One, one. out of 20. One out of 20. Yeah. Now, do you... So, so how do you decide uh, that one organization is... I'm sure you've got them, you know, prioritized in some way the the organizations that you give the most money to yeah how, how do you make decisions how do you uh yeah well you, i mean I th- you may remember this about me but i've got a pretty thoughtful way of thinking about my core values and my purpose in life and how to discern my calling and so i feel like i've been called to give uh yeah. a, a lot of money away and uh I, I think it's really important for me and for my family to live below our means because I think we've been entrusted with a lot of resources that aren't for us, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so I, I take that really seriously. And so we, you know, I have a very prayerful approach to how I give money. But a lot of these organizations, uh, you know, like one of them is a, a college that I went to, and I give to a specific program because this is a program that not just supported me academically, but I had one of the instructors there uh, take me under his wing, mentor me, um, invite me to live with his family for a semester. I mean, he just, he, he really committed to my well-being and formation with zero expectation of anything in return. And so if I can support that organization so that other people have those opportunities, like sign me up today and every day. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, that's awesome. So, I mean, you mentioned the not enough people think about, am I doing this for the benefit of the, the benefactor or am I there for myself? How does someone, so for you, is there a situation that you would find value in spending time in person with someone? I mean, I've got, you know, I'm, I'm good friends with our local diocesan. Um, he's the secretariat director for advancement stewardship. Yeah. Uh, you know, Scott Whitaker is, he's a good friend and I find lots of value meeting with him. I really yeah. want to understand where he wants to invest with the diocese. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to understand how I can not just give to him, but I want to know what things I can be doing to support him. Yeah. Right. And so, um, and that means that when, you know, when I make introductions for Scott, they're introductions I want to make that have value. It's not like Scott's just going to ask somebody for, and Scott's fantastic. He wouldn't just show up and ask somebody for money. Uh, But I want to make sure that I can talk to Scott about why I think they should meet and what this person is thinking about so they can have a really great conversation. And Scott does a great job of aligning people's giving with, um, you know, in issues that are important to them with what the diocese is doing. Yeah. And so so, so how, that's the fundraiser's job, right? Yeah, exactly. So how did that, uh, how did that relationship with Scott begin uh, to where it was meaningful enough to, to spend time with him? Whereas a lot of these other organizations, it sounds like you're just, sending money, probably get updates through, uh, less, uh, less, I guess, personal methods. Yeah. I mean, I think when you, you know, if you give a little bit each month, it's one thing and one type of update. And then when you write bigger checks, you want to be a little bit more engaged. Um, you know, one of the, one of the, um, places I just, you know, um, made a big commitment to was an organization where I knew one of the, board directors. He was a young man. He was, we met through an alumni association. Uh, we, so we met socially, started talking, um, started having more conversations, got to know each other. He said, Hey, I'm part of this organization. Here's what they do. And I thought, my gosh, that's amazing. That's one of my things. 
Hmm. He's like, oh, well, let me have you meet the executive director. And so she came out and told the story. My wife got really excited. And then we talked about it. Now we've actually not just supported them financially, but that organization has had resources that have been, uh, you know, uh, given by my wife's company. She works for IBM and they did some work together. And so we try to find ways to move uh, nonprofits forward that we're enthusiastic about. I think that's probably true of most givers, right? Yeah. So the danger, if I'm on your side of the table, is if what if I ask you to give to my organization and our and our mission isn't aligned with you, the donor? You have to be willing to take no for an answer. Yeah. We talked about yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So what is the... Uh... Yeah, so you, you mentioned earlier about stewardship. Yeah. How have you seen, and maybe there's a different word for it that you want to use, but what has been a positive experience you've had when giving a gift to an organization? And then, uh, you know, you had a, a positive experience after that gift was given. Yeah, I think um, I'll bet you there's a lot of donors. It's really important to kind of measure a lot of that. I try not to, I, I think a gift comes with no strings attached in the sense that I don't, I, I want to give because I'm called to give. I think that's different than some donors. I think many donors appropriately want their gift to be given and they want that gift to be used well. And so I guess I do pay attention to that with kind of my, uh, my local churches. And I do feel like my local parishes uh, handle money well. Um, and in some cases I want to get involved. So I want to give money, but I also want to make sure that I'm involved in volunteering so that I do feel like my, treasure and my talent and my time are all being utilized together. Um, so, so I think, I think, yeah. So we're, I'm trying to think about specifics, like with the, with the one I just mentioned where we made a gift, it's a, um, it's a summer camp and that summer camp, uh, that summer camp had a number of kids they helped each year. And so, and I knew what the outcomes were. And so you can watch yeah. that, you know, in the nonprofit world, that logic model, right? You can see how yeah. many dollars go in, how much public good comes out. And it, and they tell stories about some of the kids, as you see happen with lots of nonprofits. And it's like, okay, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Do you ever make multi-year commitments to organizations that you give to? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And what is, what is the, what, why do you do that? I'm trying to think about the times where I've done it. It's probably not the best answer you want to hear. The, the couple times that I've done it, it's because I was asked. Yeah. Um, there were people that I really trusted and there was a need and I prayed about it and I felt like giving was the right thing. And, and you know, I will say as a giver, a, a couple of things that, that I've done for myself, there have been some times where money was getting tight or the economy got scary and yeah. when, I've when I've made the choice to kind of continue the giving or in a couple of cases, like increase the giving a little bit just to kind of, and I scared myself doing it a couple of times. It's always been blessed in ways that uh, it's, it's, I've been blessed. And I don't, I don't mean always financially blessed. I mean, I've just been blessed with <clears throat> just peace and abundance and I've never had to, to worry about it. And so I try to, I try never to grip my money tightly because I don't think it's my money. It's, it's God's money. And when I remember that, I think about how generous he is to let me keep my 90%. Like it's just, it's, it's unreasonable, right? Yeah. But I'm grateful. Yeah. Are there, uh, 
are there times you've been asked for a gift and you uh, got angry at either the amount or the timing or something like that? No, I, I haven't. I've never been um, angered by an amount. There's been times I've been frustrated with the fifth or sixth call in a row from, you know, and it wasn't, you know, how could the sixth guy possibly know the first five people called? So, <laughs> wait, wait, so, so you're, you're saying, wait, tell me exactly what you're talking about. You're saying from the same organization. No, I'm talking like six different organizations call me okay, all, all okay. the same four day period. <laughs> You know, and the poor, the poor person who called on Thursday has, and I, I, I didn't, I didn't get upset with the person. Right. I just kind of yeah. was a little more short than I, you know, like, Hey, I've got to go. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think, and, and this is where, you know, I don't know if your podcast is specifically for Catholics or if it's kind of for all non-for-profits. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. So I give, I give a lot in the Catholic world and I give outside the Catholic world as well, but Catholics are notorious for being bad givers. Right. Yeah. And I think the Catholic church is an example of there's, it's, there's not an aligned philosophy around giving, whereas I've seen other organizations that I've worked with that, where the, the giving has been much more, the, 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 the asking has been much more deliberate and much more successful. Yeah. And so I think that goes back to communication and relationship. Yeah. So is there, so when five or six different people call you in a short period of time, is there anything that one of those people uh, does or says that increases or decreases the likelihood you're going to move forward in some type of relationship with that organization? I, 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 me personally, I'm pretty sensitive to people that are into alignment. Like that's a good thing. And I'm pretty allergic to people who are uh, doing it for their own reasons without understanding my reasons. Because if that's the way they treat me, then I wonder how they treat the people they're serving. And maybe that's not fair. Maybe it is a fair question, but I think that the, you know, the person who's asking for money is the face of the organization. And yeah. so um, it's not, it's not about being soft. I think you can be bold, but I think being bold in aligning the interests of people is where I would prefer to see people go. Yeah, for sure. So talk to me about, you mentioned, you have given referrals to your friend Scott at the diocese. I am a big proponent of referrals for uh, you know getting more more visits. Um, talk about the the power of a referral from your side of the table, and um, you know e either if you are recommending someone go see your friend, or if someone recommends you go learn more about an organization. Yeah, I've got why to does make, that matter? Well, I've got to make sure that whoever I'm referring is going to treat my relationship with the person being referred and they're going to protect my relationship with that person. Right. So if I sent Scott to Joe, I know that Scott is going to protect my relationship with Joe. If I don't trust Scott to protect my relationship with Joe, there's no way I give that referral, which means and what that, do you mean? What do you mean by that? Protect your relationship with Joe. If I'm asking you for money, Kevin, and I said, Hey, Kevin, um, Joe said you should give this money. No, I wouldn't say that that explicitly. No, no one asked yes. me for money if I would ever say that. But if I in any yeah. way impl apply, like imply that, yes, or do anything to shame you or guilt yes. you or like those are all things that are bad emotions that are going to negatively impact your relationship with Joe, right? And they're yeah. going to negatively impact my relationship with you, and they're going to negatively impact the entire the entire environment of giving. And so I think that people do that sometimes and they it's, I've never met someone who was intentionally manipulating me in that way. 
but intention is just one piece of it. Right. Yeah. 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 And and I think I'm interested to hear. So one thing that's always been key for me is confidentiality and, you know, not like people tell you really personal things, uh, whether it be about their life or their financial situation um, and not sharing that with, (laughs) with anyone else is extremely important. And uh, yeah, talk to me about that and the sense of, Cause yeah, I mean, sometimes you're worried that the person you have shared how much you're giving to is going to share that with another person and what that, I guess that trust comes back to it and, and trusting who you're, you're dealing with. Yeah. I mean, again, now I'm going to go back into kind of where my interest lies, which is relationships. Right. And so there's kind of accountability and responsibility are fundamental kind of things you have to have to build a relationship. But there's four things that actually can be looked at, right? So, so trustworthiness, meaning um, my sense that you're going to keep my secrets makes you trustworthy to me, right? And so that's one of the four keys to a great relationship. Another one would be vulnerability, my willingness to share with you, right? Then there would be kind of um, my my uh, affection for you, like how I see you. Do I choose to see you in the most loving light or do I choose to not see you in the most loving light? And then validation, like do I accept that you are where you are even if it's different than I am where I am. And can I, can I accept you where you are? And so those are the four things that are the, are the, the ways to measure the health and the depth of a relationship. Hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting when you start talking about that stuff and relationships, and then also going back earlier to, uh, you know, are we really there for the benefactor or are we there for themselves? One of the books you recommended to me, uh, which I listened to on the drive back to Dallas from Austin was The Go-Giver. Yeah, I love that one. And yeah, th- th- talk about what, why you like that book and kind of how it might impact uh, philanthropy on either side of the table. Well, it's such, a great, it's such a great book about going first, right? Like how do I create value for you? So I was given a referral just recently from one company executive to another company's uh, owner, and uh, the company owner, we had a first meeting. He was super impressed. He's like, hey, I'd like you to consider, you know, doing something with us, whether it's an engagement or advisor work or whatever. And I said, hey, let me just like, I, I promised to make some introductions that were valuable. Let me see if I can actually create some value for you. And if that's the case, then, you know, I have another uh, perspective uh, group that came to me and I said, look, I'm a, I want to invest my time to get to know you and see if I can really can help. And so, if I can't help you, I want to be able to be clear with you about that before we engage. And so I think that providing, you know, and I'm not saying that relationships should be quid pro quo because I definitely don't believe that, but I do think we should be thinking about taking care of other people. Yes. Yeah. So you mentioned the thing about making introductions and here's a kind of different question for you. I, Several times in my career, I've had, there might be one person that I've known for several years. And there's one guy in particular I'm thinking of. He was starting a new business. And he's, he said quite a few. He had a several hundred million dollar exit from one. This isn't just like a, I don't know what I'm doing kind of guy. Uh, And he was starting a new business and he needed to raise uh, quite a bit of money to get this thing started. And he was talking to me about it. And I kind of had this idea of, well, and he's looking for investors. And I was like, well, I might know some people 
who would be interested in this kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but it's kind of a tricky thing in my mind because it's like the only reason I know some of these other people of great capacity is because of my employment at Heroic Media. And so talk to me about how would one go about because that could be a mutually beneficial relationship for both parties involved the the person starting the company yeah. and then someone else that might be interested yeah. but i don't want to cross any boundaries well yeah so. and it could also be a horrible idea where the company goes belly up and yeah, loses exactly money. Yeah, yeah well yeah. And, then, and, then, <laughs> and then and then and by the way i didn't get a call on that one and uh <laughs> and, and so, the hey there's still time there's yeah the, still time. <laughs> the first thing you got to do is check in with your employment agreement with your current organization because if your if your employment agreement says you can't do that like there's a yeah. conflict of interest there so the first thing you right. want to do is check in with your organization and yeah. see if there's a conflict. And then assuming the organization says you can make introductions as long as it's, you know, third party, not involving the organization, all that kind of stuff, then I would go to the person who is being referred first, right? So I never just make introductions. Right. So, right. So if if you want to make an introduction to me because I'm starting a company and you want Joe to be the guy that might want to invest, you would go to Joe first and say, Hey Joe, here's, you know, here's an opportunity, no pressure. Um, I'm yeah. sure you get pitched like this all the time. I just, I didn't want to know about the opportunity and you not know about it. So if you, if you'd like an introduction, great. If you don't want an introduction, great. Here's the deal. I'm in no position to tell you if it's a good investment or not. Yeah. So yeah. I can't, I can't vouch for it. I can just tell you that someone's doing something. They asked if I knew some people, I thought of you. If you'd like the introduction, I'll make it. If you don't, no big deal. I'm just trying to find ways to add value to your day. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever, uh, have you ever brokered some sort of, uh, introduction like that, that went bad and, uh, you had to pick up the pieces afterwards. Oh, so yeah. yeah, in that scenario where all the time, I mean, not, I mean, really? not, they don't go bad all the time, but I've certainly been involved in a lot of those types of introductions. Yeah. Um, and I, and I've had some of them go bad and I was able to maintain the relationships because, you know, I was able to let people under understand that I wasn't you know, vetting the deal for them or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Any other uh, things that you'd like to share to development professionals out there that you think well, was valuable? Yeah. Let's tie that up because I've also had lots of times where I've asked someone if they wanted the introduction and a lot of times people said, mm -hmm. no, thanks. Not, we're not interested. Okay. Right. So I think, I think you have to know that if you're going to ask that question, you know, maybe more often than not, people are going to say, no, thanks. I don't, I'm not looking for investments right now. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, well, that's helpful. Yeah. I think if I were talking, so your question was about investment professional or, um, well, the, uh, yeah, uh, fundraising professionals, fundraising. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. My head working for nonprofits. Yeah. We're, we're, we're going, uh, <laughs> we're, we're jumping all over it. Right yeah. Now. Yeah. <laughs> Fun, you know, I think, I think for fundraising professionals, you know, they'd be really well served to study the literature on like the go-giver, right? Just literature on the psychology of relationships in business and, and why people give, right? And so I think that people make decisions emotionally, then they justify them logically. That's how humans operate. And so if, if someone in the fundraising world can understand the motives of the potential donor, they're going to help them understand whether it's a good fit or not. And then a true professional, somebody who really, really is great at fundraising, will understand when there's not a fit and when to direct somebody somewhere else. Yes. Yep. Yeah, th that's exactly it. I've talked about this in other episodes, but the the primary example is in uh, Carrie Robinson wrote a book. She 
raised several a bunch of money for Yale's Catholic community. And basically, she went on this trip, went to visit this guy. They were going to ask him for several million dollars. They realized it wasn't his thing. So she recommended another organization that was more in line with yeah. his values. He winds up giving a several million dollar gift there. And she was like, man, should we have really done that? That was that was just kind of a waste of our time. And then a few months later, he was with one of his uh, fellow alums from Yale and said, hey, I got this visit from this this uh, young woman and this priest. And it wasn't my thing, but I think you might be interested. And then yeah. that guy gave one of the largest gifts to the campaign. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that you, and that's when I talk about doing what's right for the donor, that's what I'm talking about. Like, I think yeah. if, if I don't, if, if you're not trustworthy, like we talked about, I'm not going to be vulnerable. Yes. And so it's really hard to develop relationship when John's thinking about John or Kevin's thinking about Kevin. And, and in this world, I'll tell you, we have a lot of, a lot more people um, that are interested in protecting themselves. And I think that's in some ways understandable, but also in some ways sad. I wish that I wish we had a little more focus on community and others. And I'm sure there's people hearing this who are, you know, most people are working for nonprofits. They think that that's that is happening. And I would say just like maybe maybe take a, a different look at it and just see how it looks from other people's perspectives. And so, yeah, for sure. Is there any. uh any so we talked about the go giver. Are there any other books you would recommend to people and kind of either that psychology of yeah. giving or serving others or just kind of sales that's applicable? I think you know the the anatomy of peace is a great book on the acceptance of somebody else's position being different than your own, huh. and and the ability to really understand where somebody else is coming from. Uh, and so that would be the one that I would say is you know really high on my list. Uh, for someone in this field. Yeah. So, so that's an interesting one because I've had several discussions with people about, you know, sometimes one of our most recent guests, he's working with the Catholic schools foundation up in Boston. And he said that sometimes he visits with people who are on one side of the spectrum and give to Catholic things because they purely want the education aspect. They don't care at all about the faith. Yeah. Other people want more vocations and that's yeah. more they're, they're giving. And so he has to deal with that. Sometimes people still want to give to the organization, yeah. but their personal beliefs might be different than his. And so, but one thing I want to ask you is going back to the trusting someone, do you ever feel like as the benefactor, if you say something, you don't necessarily just want a yes man kind of thing like yeah i just agree with whatever john says because i want to want to get his money kind of thing if that makes sense yeah, i mean tr trustworthiness in this particular context is around my ability to be vulnerable and your ability to hold that in confidence right it's not that it's not that i trust you to be my brain surgeon that i mean if you're not trained yeah. brain surgeon, yeah so yeah. so so when you're building relationships trustworthiness is more about being able to protect confidences and then okay. and then when you have a deep enough relationship along all those components then then we start to gain influence with people with one another right yeah and so i think that if if you're just being a yes man kind of put into that scale i just gave you is that vulnerable or not vulnerable yeah not and vulnerable. so and yeah. so what happens to relationship mm. yeah 
crumbles. Yeah, it's just it's just not good. And so I think that that but we have to be we have to be um, balanced in our feedback. Like I think that some people think that honesty means sharp, and I don't believe that at all. I think that you can package a message in a very caring way to somebody when you don't agree with them. And that's that acceptance piece and that validation piece. Like I accept you and validate you right where you are. Right. And I have a different viewpoint. I'm vulnerable. Like, so it's, it's all those things that come into play and it's, it's uh, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. And I think that comes back to this, you know, lack of human connection thing and the, the inability to sit down with somebody and just disagree about something, but know you both love each other and yeah. can remain friends in the uh, everyone hates each other Twitter world that we live in. I, th- I think it was F. Scott Fitzgerald who said something to the effect of uh, when a person can hold two opposite or different thoughts in their mind and still continue to operate, it was a sign of like emotional maturity or something like that. It was a, it was a yes. great quote. Yeah. Um, I've, I've not done it justice here for sure. Uh, especially in the world of Google, but no, no, I think, I think that's it is we all have to, f- <clears throat> we're so emotionally attached to our positions or our political candidate. And it's like, why can't we just be like, man, like I'm, I hold this position, but I can also see the, the values in the other side and, you know, not be uh so, I don't know, violent towards criticisms of our. Well, discourse, yeah, discourse is really important for healthy community. And and so uh, polarizing, polarizing kind of uh, discussions aren't going to help us get back to that great discourse and help us improve. So my hope is that we can find some, some ground in the middle where we can have that discourse where we have, because you can have, you know, a positive effect for someone. You can have, uh, you know, the sense that you validate their position and you can have trustworthiness and self-disclosure. All those things can exist and disagree at the same time. Like, so those things don't mean that I'm going to say yes to you about everything. That's not, that's not at all what relationship is. One potentially one final question about fundraising from the other side of the table. You're a young guy, but is, is planned giving something that's on your radar at all? Do you ever think about it? You know, I do. I'm a planner by nature, so I think I do. Yeah. I don't know that most people my age do think about it, but I do think about it. And uh, and that's that's what how that list of 20 came to being, right? It's like, how mm. do I, what do I want to have happen to the money when I go? Because, you know, I don't, I, I think my kids will get some for sure. But yeah. uh, but there's things I want to do. There's a, there's a legacy that I want to leave too. And there's things I want to see being done well in the world. And I think that in the US in particular, nonprofits are such a critical part of, our ecosystem. And yes. so if those, if, if our nonprofit industry went away, the damage that we've done to our society would be unimaginable. And so yeah. I, I want to be a part of helping support that. And how would, how would you like to be approached about uh, the idea of leaving an organization in your will? By somebody who has already been receiving money from me and who knows me. And uh, you know, I've got, people that talk, try to talk about this all the time. And I can tell you that not a single person has been able to actually uh, start the conversation with me uh, at this point. So just, wait, no one's, 
you cut out for a second and no one's been able to what the conversation like this the conversation hasn't actually gotten off the ground with anybody yet i'm just i'm not ready to share that piece with somebody yet um, yeah and for a number of reasons that have nothing to do with them like it's, it's not yeah. about like what they're doing wrong it's just that you know there's a lot of i have a lot of um unknowns right now so i've just started our family foundation uh and you know and i'm not talking about months ago i'm talking about like days ago like we're just yeah. now and then that, and i'm not talking about like funded it fully i'm talking about like we've just started the process of the paperwork and the people and we're just starting to have those conversations with the kids and so it's just too early yeah for, for me personally yeah yeah and i mean i think part of it too i mean having a foundation there's certain things you can do in that scenario that it's not like like i mean you you can leave the foundation as a uh, yeah a beneficiary and then you know things well, and, 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 there, so. and you know for people on this podcast will understand too that i'm not actually starting a foundation for right now i'm starting with a donor advised fund like i just okay. want to start yeah. with you know something that's kind of the intermediate step between that and the foundation right. they could potentially fund a foundation later um and so, but I'm in the place right now where I, I'm in the part of my career where I want to go, you know, create value, create resources so I can give more and more and more. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, this was, this was really helpful, John, and great to hear your perspective from the, from the other side. Any final things you'd like to share with people before we finish up? I mean, I, the first thing is I want to get that phone call you talked about earlier. I'm still uh, interested to know what that investment opportunity was. I'm always oh. looking there. No, uh, I, we can, we can seriously, I can yeah. share it with you as soon as we uh, hit, get off record. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think I just, again, my, my encouragement in all seriousness to people listening is to really pay attention to the other side, like just be willing to have it not be the right fit. It's good for you. It's good for them. And like the people at Yale, you talked about, if you can help people find that right fit, like that's, that's going to create really important community for everybody. Well, thank you so much, John. This was incredible and look forward to talking to you soon. Happy to be here. Talk soon. That was John Oberg. If you found this episode valuable, please subscribe to the show and leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to stay up to date on the show, you can like One Visit Away on Facebook or connect with me, Kevin Fitzpatrick, on LinkedIn. You can also sign up for the One Visit Away email list by clicking the link in the notes section of this episode. If you really want to help the show grow, please personally share this episode with other development professionals. Also, if you'd like to get in touch with John, I'll leave a link in the notes section to his podcast and his website, and you can learn more about what he's doing there. I hope John's words have inspired you to schedule more visits. After all, you're just one visit away from truly putting your benefactors first which will result in transformational experiences for your organization and your benefactors.